Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. We have a great show today. We have a talking free agency with uh, John uh, Sorrentes of The Fantasy Greek at The Fantasy Greek on Twitter. We'll be coming up here in a couple minutes. Uh, we're going to talk free agency, the NFL draft coming up. So a little bit of chatter there. Um, exciting uh, weekend in the women's game, FXL in Mexico. We'll go into recap on that, as well as the Gridiron Victoria down south in Australia, and the NFL free agency period pretty much in the books and going forward and probably in another week or two, we're going to get, you know, pretty much draft talk in terms of the roster movement and, and things like that. So, so far in the, um, so far in the week, we've, we talked about this last week. Uh, if you were listening to the show with Holly Custis, uh, we talked about free agency and some of the key names that came up, but a, a lot of names have been, pushed around and uh, new faces and new places at this point. So, uh, you know, example, uh, you know, Janaris Jenkins, five-year deal, $62.5 million. A lot of money being thrown away. Last season he was with the Rams. Uh, he put up big numbers and he recorded 64 tackles plus some interceptions and obviously, you know, a, a bonus now for the Giants. So we're going to be talking to pretty much free agency at this point throughout the hour, and then as soon as John gets in here, we'll go into more detail in terms of, you know, who he sees that's going to be an impact player uh, in terms of what came out of the free agency period. A lot of money, like I said, thrown away, thrown out of everybody. Everybody from Osweiler getting the big contract to uh, just about and anybody that was somewhat in the medium stage where it wasn't a superstar name, uh, got big money this time around. So uh, hats off to them because that's that's what they deserve and that's what they earn. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Troy Wilson won't be with us today, and I do not know if Inkishi Free uh, is on her way at this point. So as, if she is, I will put her on, but pretty much going solo today with John uh, Sorrentes. And then we'll probably go into the recap if uh, Inkishi doesn't show up at this point. But other than that, we're in good standings, and we'll go forward with that. And John should be coming up here in a couple minutes. So um, your host, Oscar Lopez, happy to announce we posted our 2016 no-joke football summer ad promos during the, uh, you know, featuring the talented players like Brooke Linsby, uh, Stacey Spears, Lauren Evans, Christy Moran, Julia Olson, 
uh, by the talented uh, duo of Todd Stefan and Liza Thomas of TL Photography Australia. So uh, awesome job. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the support that everybody has given us so far. Uh, we've had an amazing year so far in 2016, and we hopefully will continue the push. Uh, a lot of things in the works for the No Joke Football Project, and this year, uh, like I said, we're down under for the for the rest of the year. Uh, looking forward to the 2017 uh, Women's World Championships. And so uh, as soon as everybody gears up, a lot of excitement in Mexico, in Australia, and a lot of the um, uh, European countries as well, in Italy, in France. Everybody wants to get in on this, uh, you know, this event and this tournament. It's going to only grow bigger at this point. I mean, with the four teams, five teams in the 2013, uh, I know Football Canada has announced their structured roster at this point, silver medalists there. So they're, they're, they're gearing up for a better showing, obviously gold. And um, Team USA owns that the last two tournaments on 2010 and 2013. So Team Canada, probably the favorite coming into this, com- this coming year, given the, uh, the way the uh, Western Women's Canadian Football League and the Maritime have competed in, in the last two years, the level of competition has excelled in the WWCFL. Um, it was owned by the uh, Saskatoon Valkyries, now Regina, the Regina Riot. Uh, we'll see what how that happens this year, whether the Valkyrie returned to, to uh, championship form or will it be, you know, the Riot or anyone else at this point because it's very competitive in that in that league. Pretty much figure out how it's going to work out throughout the year, and it comes up in May. Uh, the WFA schedules were posted uh, on the WFA, uh, WFAfootball.com site, so we'll go into a little bit of detail there in terms of the matchups that are coming up for the first weekend in April as the uh, Women's Football Alliance and the Independent Women's Football League in the United States launches. Um, So uh, it's pretty exciting. And the exciting news was uh, out of the Chicago Force, John Konecki, who was at the Outback Australian camp, uh, has announced that uh, three of the Aussies, Ainsley Rogers, who previously played for Chicago Force last year, will be coming over as well this year to participate with the Chicago Force. And you have Zoe Barnett and Tra- uh, Tracy Day of the Gold Coast uh, Stingrays will also be participating. So a boost of talented talent for already um, a prominent team in the WFA for the Chicago Force. So it's going to be a huge year to keep tabs on the Women's Football Alliance. It is probably the, the most exciting uh, year since I've been covering it since November, uh, since 2009, and you're looking at the WFA being a staple league now at this point, uh, you got DC Pittsburgh coming back into the league, uh, the Renegades just regrouping there as well. Uh, you got top-notch teams, even though uh, the Surge uh, did not compete this year. You still have the Majestics out west. You got the the Elite out west. Uh, the Slam coming back and re you know re-energizing themselves as well. You have the Kansas City Titans. Uh, a lot of stories, uh, storylines that are going to come out. They're going to come out of this uh, season in the WFA 2016. It's going to be an exciting year for us to cover that. And the first thing we're going to do is on April 9th, uh, we are going to be uh, via Periscope. We're going to be tackling the uh, DC Divas taking on the Dallas Elite uh, in in uh, DC, and that's going to be the huge game. It's a rematch of the 2015 title 
uh, in the WFA. So uh, looking at Odessa Jenkins and uh, Allie Hamlin and everybody in general in terms of superstars that's going to be at that game. So we're looking forward to getting some interviews, some insights, and some tidbits, um, and then covering it in that way. Uh, they're also going to be covering, obviously, on their regular format, which is audio format. So we're looking forward to that and excited about the opportunity. Uh, in terms of the project that we got going on for this coming year, it's already March, going into April. So we're going to have a great opportunity here in Australia the next couple months as we're working with the uh, full kit leagues there as well as the non-full kit leagues. So it's going to be very impactful. As we get into the swing of 2017, our goal is really to re-energize the awareness uh, towards the uh, World Championships, the IFAB World Championships. So uh, looking forward to that as well. So um, let's talk about here. Let's see. And Kishi, are you on? Hey, Oscar. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. How are we doing today? <sighs> we are doing great. Everything is a little bit crazy and hectic because we are trying to wrap up the spring break as well as get ready for Easter. Yeah, it's a big week for everybody, especially for a lot of families. So uh, bye um, week. Yes. Bye week. Yeah, if you consider them bye weeks you don't consider them bye weeks It's just another week with the heavier load. Um, no. So I was just talking about, no. talking about the event in D.C. that we're going to be at uh, April 9th. Uh, we're planning to be yes. at the D.C. Diva Dallas Elite event, which is going to be a huge thing for us. Uh, it's one of the Amazing. premier games. You know, it's it, it, it's the first ever uh, rematch of, uh, of a championship game in the Women's Football Alliance. So it is a huge deal. And you have the DC Divas. And talking about DC Divas, uh, today in the news, um, I was fe- going through my uh, news feed, and uh, Donna Wilkinson announced that uh, and she posted some pictures of Senator Muse out of Maryland who proclaimed uh, DC Divas and recognized them for their accomplishment of their championship. So that was hats off to the senator and the Maryland Senate for uh, you know taking nice. the time to uh, recognize them. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I wonder what um, region she's from. So yeah, I'm gonna have to check up on that because I missed that email. That's amazing. Yeah, it's on our it's on our timeline. So if you follow the divas or any of the divas that Albert reposted, we did post it on our our Facebook page. We did a, post a link on there as well. So uh, congratulations to them uh, for getting noticed, especially in the DC area, and getting a lot more exposure, uh, getting the uh, you know, which is we've always talked about. Yeah. Well, so and again, that's a, that's, know, that's for the proof of what we're doing. Well, and and it's also for the proof that we are moving in, you know, in the right direction. And uh, as they say, we're on the right side of history, you know, because yeah. one of the biggest challenges, of course, has always been getting the recognition. And so to have this opportunity where, again, uh, the hard work is paying off, the end of, the ladies are getting recognized, the team is getting recognized, women's football is certainly moving up in terms of its recognition. So, I mean, these are huge accomplishments. So, and Kishi, we're going to get to some uh, dirty mud as, as as soon as we get past the interview here with uh, John Sorrentes out of the At That Fantasy Greek. And uh, I think we're I think he's on. So let me just go ahead and do that. We're going to we're going to go into the No Joke Football Huddle. We're going to be talking to John Sorrentes, founder of the uh, Fantasy Greek site and at Twitter at Fantasy Greek. The fantasy Greek. So let's see. We got you know John I love on right now. John. Oh yeah, John's great. John, uh, welcome to the show. Oscar Lopez and Kishi Free. 
Oscar and Keisha, how are you guys doing? Hey, doing John, great. How John, are you how was, doing? How was your year? Uh, it was great. Um, in, in another year in the books, we got to see some uh, uh, record-setting offenses get out there on the field. Uh, we saw the passing game come alive this year. Saw a couple, you know, really tough defenses, and eventually, when that storyline is is an offense or defense wins, which wins champions championships, it's obviously defenses that Denver Broncos proved. Yeah, your your thoughts there, John, on uh, on the Manning a delay of retirement announcement. What was your thoughts there? Um, you know, I, I suppose it was a pro, you know it was appropriate. I mean, you got to give the guy a chance to think about it. Um, I didn't think there was much to think about. Um, if your if your career is sort of uh, you know at the sunset of your career, what what a great time to retire after you've won a Super Bowl. Um, I'm glad he saw the writing on the wall. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought it was a good, positive move. I do wonder, however, if that played in any way in Brock Osweiler sort of, uh, I mean, being uh, alienated from the team. Certainly one of the stories I don't think that's being re- reported very well is the Broncos have lost quite a few free agents, and um, many of them seem to agree that, if something had been done about their contract several weeks ago, uh, before free agency opened, they more than likely would have taken, you know, re-signed with the team and very likely may have signed uh, what I'll call a hometown discount, but probably for less than when they, what they ended up getting out on the free market. Um, but that having been said, it is what it is. The Broncos look like a team that will be rebuilding next year while several other teams have poached some of these players and unless these players uh, take the attitude or, you know, they've got their championship. They could sit back a little bit. Um, you know, some teams really picked up some good players in free agency. John, are you surprised at the amount of dollars that is being thrown around this year? The amount of dollars? I know it's, all, it's not all guaranteed, but it just seems like yeah. this year it's like the, the cap dollars or the amount of money in a cap setting was just term- uh, huge. And given the amount of Talented, I, w- I want to say talented superstars not available or big-name superstars not available. It's sort of like, I don't know if this is the year where everybody just, you know, threw money around, and, and I'm anticipating that this is not going to be a very rewarding uh, result for some teams. Well, you know, it, there were probably three contracts where money really got thrown around, uh, that being Brock Osweiler, um, uh, the fellow who signed with the Giants, whose name just escapes me at this moment, and um, uh, Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, Jenkins. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there were probably three really big contracts out there, and then the rest, you know, I got the sense that yeah, they make good money, and we're probably going to make more than they than if they stayed with their team. But I don't think it was eye popping. Um, if you really sort of look at the salary cap situation of most teams. Um, they're, they're probably in decent shape heading into the into the draft. We probably won't see a lot of signing at this point. If you're somebody that's interested to see what's available, um, I encourage everybody to come out to the fantasygreek.com. We've got some very cool articles that are on our homepage right now that you can link to immediately. And if you scroll down a little bit, we actually have a section uh, portioned off for free agency, and you'll see we have the top defensive free agents and the top offensive free agents that are available. If you look through those lists, with the exception of the guys at the very, very top, 
there's not a lot more players out there that aren't replaceable. So more than likely, most teams will go into the draft, um, add a bunch of players, and then decide uh, who to sign, and they'll probably get very favorable deals uh, with a lot of these veterans. Well, now, John, so, are we... John, this is... Go ahead. And it's, it's Jim, oh. by the way, guys. I'm sorry, Jim. Thank you very much. I was like, wait a minute. He's just saying John. I was like, wait a minute. Jim, yeah. Um, Jim, this is Kishi. Quick question. Um, in terms of the signing and the numbers, were you surprised to see Chris Long go to the Patriots? And also, did you see the article today by um, the Texans owner that said that the whole reason why Brock Osweiler left was because he didn't want to be in the Manning um, – John Elway's shadow. So how much do you think something like that would impact, you know, the decision for Brock Osweiler to leave uh, a team that just won the Super Bowl? You know, I'm sure it played something, some aspect of it. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it was probably a dollars and cents decision. I I have a feeling John Elway was in no position to offer anywhere near $72 My guess would be it was probably more in the 30 to 40 million type range. Um, so, you know, I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't blame Brock Osweiler for his decision at all, even though I'm sure uh, many Broncos fans may not necessarily agree. But um, I, I suppose that's the bigger question. Who do you blame, the players or the general manager? And um, I, I think he kind of got to lean towards the general manager. Now, you know, there's something to be said. So far, he's done a great job managing this team. Last year, after he, he or two years ago, after he fired the head coach and coaching staff, it was last year. Um, I thought, this is crazy. These guys just shot themselves in the foot, and they didn't. They actually turn around, get to the Super Bowl, and actually win it. So we'll have to see if John Elway is the, the smart person that he thinks he is. Sort of a now, smart move in that sense, but also a gamble. Yeah, it was a huge Oh, very gamble. much so. And- um of course it was. But, you know, if you're the Texans, I mean, you look at their team, and if you're looking at teams in terms of free agency, I mean, they've made the critical moves that they needed to make to posture mm-hmm. themselves as the front runner to win the AFC South. They picked up not the best available free agent quarterback, but one of the top five. Uh, Brock Osweiler certainly he doesn't have a big enough body of work to really judge whether or not he'll be in the position to take that next step and really be worth the $70 million that he's going to be paid. But, I mean, he finished 5-2 and two behind a very good defense with some pretty good playmakers in front of him. He's now joining the team that got the number one running back uh, free agent available in Lamar Miller, so the running game should be much better for the Texans. They take, they've taken steps to shore up their offensive line through the signing of Jeff Allen and Tony Bergstrom. And, um, uh, you know, their defense is obviously one of the best in the league, and I think you combine the two together, and suddenly you get synergy and you have an opportunity. So certainly the arrow is pointing in the right direction. Was it a risk yet? Yes. But it was a good risk because uh, uh, head coach O'Brien, he's, he's done wonders with the quarterbacks he's been given to work with. Well, now you mentioned something really, really critical, was that he doesn't have a large body of work, but – you know, he was lucky behind a good defense. He did have some good offensive talent in front of him. And, yes, the Texans are making some really good moves in the offseason as well. But I wonder, could he be the next Matt Castle? I mean, think about, you know, in terms of look at all that Matt Castle did 
when uh, Brady went out. You know, he was able to keep the Patriots afloat and at least get them to the playoffs, you know, even though they clearly, you know, they didn't go as far as they, you know, they wanted to that year. But Matt Castle did a great job of, you know, floating that team to the playoffs. What do you think are the differences between and now Matt Castle is just the average Joe backup again. So what makes Brock Osweiler a front runner or a number one quarterback as opposed to being a good backup? Well, first off, Matt Castle actually was a decent quarterback for the first couple of seasons after he left the Patriots. Um, he had struggled, let's say, the past three, four years to actually be, be decent. Um so I, I wouldn't say that the analogy is necessarily good until maybe a few years from now. We won't really know, you know, if he's a Matt Castle or if he's another Peyton Manning. I think the fact that he learned that he learned his craft at the knee of Peyton Manning is is it's going to speak volumes to his future. I mean, he's been already seen what it takes to be a great quarterback in this league. He has flashed, so we know he's got it in him. And now he's just got to put in a, a consistent body of work. And he'll need six, a full 16-game season to sort of season himself and, and be the kind of quarterback that I think the Houston Texans coaching staff believes he can be and certainly that the fans believe he can be. Um, in terms of was it a risk, absolutely. Rick Smith has tied himself to Brock Osweiler. And, I mean, if Osweiler doesn't, I'd say, do you know, I don't want to say do something because, I mean, if the team makes the playoffs, to me, that's doing something. Um, they need to get to the Super Bowl for it to have um, been a great decision. No, they need to be a playoff contender every single year and dominate the league every single year. We'll know that in two seasons, three at the outmost, whether or not that is indeed the case, and that will determine the future of Rick Smith. That's true. But isn't it interesting? We always look at, you know, the next player or the next man up in terms of, and and this is just my opinion, but we always look at them in terms of, you know, are you going to be, like I said, a Matt Castle where, you know, yes, Matt Castle did have a really decent career for the first couple of years when he went to the um, Chiefs after leaving the Patriots. But then we also look at, should you, if you had stayed, could you have become the next Aaron Rodgers who also, you know, learned at the knee of one of the great ones. So, I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic in terms of staying or going and whose path will you more emulate. Agreed. Now, Jim, uh, New York, you give up uh, Ivory and you pick up Forte. I think that was a pretty pretty good move on the Jets' part. I do, too. I mean, I like Matt Forte. Um Having seen him up close personally, um, looking over his career uh, and in the kind of running back that he is, he's going to have a decent offensive line in front of him. I think he's a solid addition. Uh, he's probably got two to three years at best left in his career. So whatever the Jets are going to do uh, in terms of how they use him, uh, I mean, they're going to have to do it now. And what's critical to that team is to, in my opinion, is they need to suck it up and pay Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, as one reporter put it today, uh, what he's worth to the Jets. And to the Jets, he's a very valuable quarterback, and um, I, I think he's worth every penny that he's probably asking for. 
Well, in terms of what uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is worth, which, again, do you think we'll see a return to the old Ryan Fitzpatrick? I mean, that's always possible, but so far he's um... – I mean, so far, I mean, he's proven that in Chan Gailey's offense, um, he can excel and he can thrive. So, is it possible? Sure. So maybe he's in the right system for him. He's absolutely in the right system for him. And, I mean, he's got two of the best wide receivers in the league. Now he's got one of the best running backs in the league. And he's behind a pretty darn good defense. So, hopefully, this sort of gels this year. And uh, they make the playoffs, and hopefully they get a win against the Patriots. Um, because certainly, you know, as far as the Jets star, it's certainly rising. Well, considering that the Jets looked at RG3, now I heard the Cleveland Browns were looking at RG3, and now possibly the Denver Broncos are looking at RG3. And we've talked about all three of these teams who are trying to make quarterback decisions, which is why, you know, I'm thinking this is a good segue. Where does he land? Because it's certainly obviously not going to be back here in D.C. next year. Well, as of right now, it sounds like it's going to be the Browns. Um, you know, he's he, he's one of these players that, you know, he's he's hard to gauge because of what's happened the last couple of seasons and how he has struggled um, in that in, in sort of um, transforming himself into a professional, moving from a pistol type of offense into just a, a normal pro style offense. The Browns sound like the logical landing spot because of Hugh Jackson. Uh, certainly they've brought Hugh Jackson over in order to pick their next quarterback of the future, which I'll predict right now will be selected in the first round of the draft. Either I forget if they have pick number two or three. More than likely it will be Carson Wentz. Um, but that's what they're going to do. There's no question in my mind. And if you're bringing RG3 in, you're bringing him in sort of – one, because I don't think he's going to be expensive. Two, because he certainly needs to be coached by somebody that's um, not going to be nice to him, that's going to push him, that's going to make him a better quarterback. Um, and three, because you know there's always a possibility that they need him at some point. Um, I mean, Josh McCown, I like Josh McCown. He has done more, I think, than anybody could ever expect from the guy, given the awful situations that he's always been been put in, either behind a bad offensive line or with a starter injured. Um, he plays beyond, I think, anybody's expectations. But to be able to do that for 16 games straight, that just hasn't happened yet. So more than likely, RG3 will sort of be a stopgap person, just like Josh McCown for the Browns, if the Browns go forward with them. And, and then they'll slowly bring a nice young rookie up right behind him, hopefully to start next year. Well, and that's what many people have said is that the Browns are where quarterbacks go to die. And I think that's just, you know, a a terrible, potentially a terrible ending for what should have been a stellar career. And I I, I would just really hate to see that happen to RG3. And I would, if he could end up, where in your opinion, not do you think where will he end up, but based on the quarterback coaching, the quarterback carousel, where do you think he would be a better fit system-wise that would allow him to the possibility? Now, he's probably never going to return to the RG3 that exploded on the scene pre the injuries. But where can, but can he be the next 
for lack of a better term, Carson Palmer? Can he be the next Alex Smith and at least have a rejuvenated career where, like Brock Osweiler, even if his teams don't go to the Super Bowl, he at least keeps them in playoff contention every year for the next five to six years? Well, I'll tell you, I'm really surprised that the 49ers have pretty much washed their hands uh, of being a part of the RG3 conversation because I really thought that he might be a good fit in Chip Kelly's offense, uh, which tends to um, – it's built around the running back. So, first off, you take a lot of pressure off of him because he'll be hitting the football uh, off, and, and, but he'll also have an opportunity to, to be an athlete, which the offense, I think, also lends itself to and which he sort of fits that profile. Um, to me, that would be the ideal landing spot, but obviously that's not the case. So, Jim, do you think RG3 goes of the way of, uh, you know, every other big-name quarterback that we've had before where the potential isn't isn't there? Or is he just – I think he just – for me, it was just like he was on a, on the Alex Smith system in San Francisco on the East Coast. It was just, you know, a lot of change, too much – too much movement, not enough consistency. And for him to go to Cleveland, he would basically be a safety net upgrade and, uh, you know, for anybody that they draft. So I guess if you are thinking the Browns mentality, um, you would say this is probably a good Band-Aid until we figure out who's going to lead us to the promised land if, whenever that comes in Cleveland, of course. Um, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. Um I, I cannot disagree with you. I think here, if you talk to most scouts, most scouts will tell you um, that most players, I mean, they need a coach that wants to coach them, especially from the right. quarterback position. If, you know, Mike Shanahan believed in Robert Griffin III, he was great his rookie season. Even veterans said kind words about him. He was considered a leader. The big issue was he couldn't stay healthy. And when he couldn't stay healthy, that affected his athletic ability. Then Mike Shanahan, Mike Shanahan has shown the door. We've got a new coaching staff, Robert Griffin III. For whatever reason, maybe he just doesn't like the staff. Maybe the staff doesn't like him. He's having problems adjusting to the new system. It just doesn't work out. They hang on to him for two seasons too long, in my opinion. And um, now he's out on the street. And he, somebody out there has got to sit there and say, you know, I liked Robert when he came out of the draft a few years ago, and I like him today. And I, I want to go ahead and invest myself in him and teach him how to take that next step in the pros. Now, if the Browns weren't going to be looking to draft uh, their quarterback of, of the future in this upcoming draft um, and believe that RG3 was the answer, they would have moved on him by now. He would be already under contract. They would have told us all, that that's who they're going to win, but they're not. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, you have to sort of, now that he's been around the league, he's sort of damaged goods. Um, so it's going to right, take right. somebody giving him a chance who actually believes in him for him to get back on track. Now, Jim, the, in, in Tampa, you had, you had Doug Martin, uh, whether they were going to let him go or not, and then they, they ended up re-signing him. So uh, that, I thought that was a big blunder move to even let him go in to, to try to do, you know, to try to test free agency. He's such a featured back in their in their uh, offense. But um, I was happy to hear that he stayed. So what's your thought on Doug Martin at this? I, I don't think he's over the hill yet. I think he's like a Frank Gore, still beneficial 
and still has durability. Yeah, I, I want to say Doug Martin, what is he, 27? Uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like Doug Martin. I like what they did with him last year. Um, certainly, it, that offense, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were impressive last year, and I don't think people give Lovey Smith enough credit. Uh, I think part of the reason why the team moved on uh, was to get uh, uh, Dirk Coder to, to – they want this team to revolve around uh, Jameis Winston. And to do that, you've got to get Lovey Smith out of the way. He's never tried to put the, the weight of the team on a quarterback. He'd rather that that weight be on the defense, and I think there was probably a philosophical difference. And as it pertains to Doug Martin, who is 27, um, he's got a good you know three, four years ahead of him. Um, I like him. I think he was a great runner as a rookie. He was a great runner last year, even though you could probably make uh, make the case that most of his stats, uh, he piled up a big hunk of them in just a couple of games. Um, but that having been said, you know, uh, this is a team, again, whose who's arrow is pointing up, and once they get their defensive issues uh, buttoned down, the Buccaneers can make some noise or at least be in contention. Jim, you got a couple more yeah, minutes I, for us, or do we have to let you go? Just wanted to just no, wanted to touch base on that. Okay, oh, great. Go ahead. I, well, no, because I, I actually I, um, let me just say right now, Jim, love chatting with you. You know, your knowledge and insight is just invaluable, even if I'm not a very good fantasy football player. <laughs> so, so, uh, so our, our 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 conversations. If you guys don't follow us on Twitter, you really should because especially during uh, football season, Jim and I have great conversations. And, and it's always funny because every weekend, every time he, he tells me to do something, it never works out and it always goes the opposite way. But it's not his fault because it's always my fault because I didn't listen the first time. <laughs> but oh. what I want to say, though, is, you know, if, first, seriously, if you're not following Jim, you really and truly need to be following him because his knowledge and insight into players and, and their stats is just amazing to me. But what I'm thinking in terms of agreeing with you is I really hate that they um, let Levy Smith go so soon because I really think that had he been able to get at least another two years under his belt, that he would have been able to turn the Tampa Bay Buccaneers around because from where they were and where they finished, that was a totally different team. And I think I agree with you that they really and truly were more offensive-minded than defensive because, you know, look at how he coached in Chicago and look at what he did with a Rex Grossman. But like we said, if defense wins championships, then I'm really surprised that they weren't willing to make that investment into Lovey and to give him two more years to really build up the defense if that's where the team is lacking. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you. It's always shocking to me when a when coach – uh, in his second year as a head coach, really, I mean, he turned this team around. And uh, a lot of credit goes to the draft that they had last year where they added a couple of offense, young offensive linemen, obviously Jameis Winston, um, and were able to sort of to battle through the season. I mean, that's the kind of – they had the kind of season that builds character um, in, in that their their wins weren't the easiest. In some of their losses, um, they had to be beaten. They didn't give the games away. so. You know, with one more year, some improvements on defense, you would expect this team to turn turn it around. Um, so, you know, hey, the bottom line is is 
it's the owner's team, and if they don't like you, they don't like you. And if they think that the team could be managed better or do better under somebody else's uh, uh, guidance, then they're going to make that decision, and I suppose that's why the, they're, they're, they own the team. Um, but uh, but from a football perspective, you'd like to think he would have been given at least that third year to see if he could really take this team and push them into that next step, which it looks like they're ready to go. Well, and that's the other part of it, not just pushing the team, but not just him being defensive-minded, but I think Lovey Smith was good for Jameis Winston because you're not talking about just being able to coach him as a quarterback. You also have to look at all of the man-child issues that come along with Jameis Winston and making sure you have the right leadership in place to keep him from straying or getting distracted, you know, or getting caught up in all of the off-field issues that surrounded him coming into the league. And I I think that's where it's also going to hurt the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if they don't have the right people on staff. Because if you turn into that situation where so many players run the team, like what was rumored here in D.C. that RG3 ran everything, and you look at how that turned out, if you give him too much power, I don't see this being a good thing. So they really need a coach who's going to keep him reined in. So, Jim, what are your thoughts? Well, I can't disagree with you that, that Lovey Smith uh, would have been good for uh, uh, for Jameis Winston. Um, but I, I, I could sort of, now that some time has gone by since the end of the season, uh, I can view it from the perspective of, and again, you have to look at Lovey Smith's history as a head coach, and that whole history evolved around the Chicago Bears. I mean, with the Bears, whoever was the quarterback was never the, the focal point of the team. The focal point of the team was always the defense. Um, however, in this particular case, you can't deny that Jameis Winston is much better than Rex Grossman, at least at this point in his career. Um much better, I would argue, than Jay Cutler at this point in his career. Uh, much better than Jim Miller uh, throughout his entire time with the Chicago Bears. So, you know, I mean, if, if the point was to beef up on the defense and reduce the role of the quarterback in the modern NFL, that's just something that, I mean, it's it's just not going to happen. So if that was the philosophical difference in what it boiled down to, I can see why it happened. All right, Jim. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some fireballs at you and see what your perspective is on this. Uh, given the NFL's sort of uh, women's symposium going into you know Catherine Smith was higher uh, before that Jim Welter, where do you see the NFL at this point going forward in terms of the women incorporating the women into the sport? Would it be coaching at this point because most of the women are in administrative positions already within franchises? So where do you see the um, in your perspective, where do you see the NFL in terms of getting involved with, like, women's tackle football in general? Well, you know, I think that's really hard to say. I mean, that's definitely a question for the NFL. I don't know that they've taken a position on anything. Um, Obviously, the trend right now, or at least there's some indications that there's a door that's open uh, for women to get positions uh, on the staff of NFL teams, whether it be in coaching or administration, um, I'm certainly aware that there are 
uh, female agents and or negotiators for teams um, that uh, represent players or the interests of teams when dealing with players. So those doors are certainly open. Um, and after that, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, it is a brutal sport. Um, and that's not to say women aren't physical in their sports. Uh, my wife and I, we went to a WNBA game and uh, we're fortunate enough to have courtside seats. And I and I have never seen uh, uh, such a physical game that up close. It was it was a lot different than what I expected. Um, so oh yeah, you know, yeah. So whatever the official position is, I really don't know. Um, but you know, I, I mean, it, it is a physical sport, and you know, it's even there are many guys, including myself, that I know I could not, I probably wouldn't live through a quarter of professional football. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because you have, you know, great participation and involvement now, especially with USA football and NFL, trying to get into supporting the women's side of, of things in terms of involvement with coaching and everything else. Um, so are you saying there's the a, NFL is a, involved in those things, or you don't know? Yeah, because the NFL is kind of like, you know, the umbrella that will accept uh, and support the women's game if it ever comes down to it. Um, I think it. At oh, this but point, they're, it's but baby they're step. But they're not currently doing it. No, they're not. Yeah. So no, um, not not in terms of women's football. They are embracing women in yeah. terms of hiring opportunities. And you know, like during the Super Bowl, they just had, of course, the women's symposium. And just recently, I saw um, something on a different uh, group that I'm in, where um, the NFL is creating almost like a, a diversity community, but it's geared more toward women. And so some of the opportunities are only being offered to women if you are currently employed by a team. And right now, most of the positions for women in terms of professional sports in general tends to be in sales and marketing. Um, Well, I'm saying sales um, in terms of just selling, you know, tickets and plans, marketing, uh, corporate partnerships and community relations. Um, But in terms of actual hands-on dealing with the players and a direct day-to-day capacity in terms of coaching, in terms of the game of football itself now. But even even with the WNBA, look at how many teams are still coached by men, and then they'll have a female assistant coach. But a lot of coach, a lot of teams, you know, are still, again, employed. They'll have the men, so maybe it might even be may be getting more female trainers. You know, I mean, it might be something right. that simple as starting with the training staff. I know we had several female trainers when I was in college, um, which is great because as a cheerleader, we you know we would have to be in the training room right there with the guys. I know I pulled my hamstring, I pulled both my right and left hamstring while I was in college, um, and I you know so I felt more comfortable when I had to go in there having one of the females work on me. So, I mean, I don't know who, how the interaction is going to come, but whatever acceptance is going to occur, it's going to, they're going to take their lead from the NFL and the NFL has to embrace this as a legitimate sport. You know, just like, just like the WFC has embraced, you know, the fighting, you know, WF, uh, I hope I'm saying it right. The UFC because I'm not into mixed martial arts, but um, Ronda Rousey's name right now is bigger than the majority of the men. 
I couldn't even tell you a single male that is a UFC fighter. But I know Ronda Rousey. I know Holly Holm. So it's got to it's got to take their lead from the top in order to get the public behind it to embrace it. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on any of those points. I mean, I think that all makes sense. Uh, Jim, so to wrap up here for you, so we can let you go. Thank you for the time. Um, do you feel like the rule, the competition committee rule changes every year? Is that? I mean, it just becomes ridiculous. We we don't even know what a catch is. And every year we start making changes in terms of the rules. It's like the you know the the chop block rule maybe makes sense, but I, I, do you think it's just overly excessive? I mean, every major sports league does some sort of rule change almost every year. What do you think of the rules changes? Well, so far I think there's only three that have really been discussed, and the one you mentioned was the chop block rule. They're discussing uh, moving, what was it, the extra point, I think, to 25 and making it permanent or, or something like that. And then there's a third, which off the top of my head didn't seem very important, so I, I just can't remember it right now. Um, the Peyton Manning rule. That, I, that's the one. I, that's the only one that stood out to me was the Peyton Manning rule, that if a quarterback gives himself up, you know, like Peyton Manning did in the game against the Steelers, but he went down, and so because he went down, the uh, Steelers didn't touch him, so he jumped back up and was able to throw the ball um, forward. And so because of that, you know, that was a major play that impacted the outcome of that game. So now they're looking at the Peyton Manning rule, that if you give yourself up um, instead of being sacked, then you're just down and you don't have the uh, opportunity to continue – you know, progressing the ball down the field. I, I would agree yeah, with that. I mean, you should, you should be down. Here's the thing. If if we're going to talk about safety, I mean, that to me is if you're giving yourself up, up as a quarterback and you get, lay down on the ground, you shouldn't even be allowed to, like, land on him. You should just touch him <laughs> and he's down officially. Or the, the ref just calls the play dead. I mean, let's not check our common sense at the door is what I always like to say. Exactly. As far as chop blocking, I remember once it was it was announced that uh, the league had outlawed all chop blocks, which, by the way, I think is a great decision. So many players get injured or potentially can get injured, and they're not just sprains and bruises. I mean, you guys can break their legs, break their ankles, and these are serious injuries. If you're going to tackle somebody, you should be able to do it without tackling them be- below their knee. If we're going to talk about those kinds of safety rules, it'd be the same thing as anybody else who gives up themselves, you shouldn't be allowed to, to, to hit them once it's pretty obvious what's happened. In terms of the catch rules, absolutely, we've seen it too many times, balls that look like catches. And I understand why the rules are in place. Um, you want to be able to, to very clearly say that ball was caught. And I like the rules that talk about um, as you're going out of bounds uh, that the ball be in your possession, um, that it's not bouncing around. I mean, you shouldn't be allowed to physically be out of bounds in, in punching the ball up and down and then possess it while standing out of bounds. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. Uh, but as you're going to the ground in the open field, if that ball hasn't hit the ground and you get possession, to me that is a catch. Um, if you are holding the ball firmly and it hits the ground on a catch, it's still a catch. As long as the ball hasn't been jostled or moved, it's a catch. And um, so things like, uh, I, like it still doesn't sit right with me, the, uh, the Des Bryant touchdown, which is Packers. Amen. I've looked at that film several different ways. And, and what's wrong with it 
is you could sort of see both sides of it, but no. I still kind of look at it and go, I don't see enough to see it's not a catch. It was a catch. So, it was completely a catch. He had his both hands under the ball, and he caught it. And then right after he caught it, that's when his hand hit the ground, and then the ball bounced out. But he had possession of the ball prior to it Jim, hitting the ground. Do you think the problem think, is only with Cowboy fans at this point, or is it everybody in general? <laughs> what? I'm you know kidding, what? I'm, kidding. I'm sorry to that because every time I've ever brought it up, everybody has a really distinct uh, opinion on it, and I totally get it. Um, because no, you know I, what? You know, it's not a Cowboys thing. I, I wouldn't care I know. regardless of the team. It, but you know, I am I am passionate because I think that 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 play really was a game changer. Now, granted, there was you know two and a oh, half hours worth of a game, but huh? They would have won the game. I mean, that, it had, yeah. had yeah. touchdown counted. The Cowboys probably would have been a much different team last year than they ended exactly. up. Exactly. So yeah, you, know, you really start to understand how how these plays can sort of have long term consequences. And um, I don't like I, think it affected the I don't psyche. like the fact that we're going. I don't like the fact that we get into this this type of confusion or or it, it, it almost like you're marrying politics and sports. It's like you know yeah. the, the facts are he caught the ball. Oh, by by the way, the judges have decided that it's in the best interest of the sport. Right. That the catch is not ruled a catch. I mean, I'm like, come on. But we haven't exactly. had this issue for 75 years, and all of a sudden in the last three years we have an issue of confusion as to what a catch is. I mean, it's like Troy's point, well, this is about as ridiculous as you want to get. Well, it also has to do with what you said. Unfortunately, there are a lot of politics and, you know, conspiracy theories abound, you know, and in terms of, uh, you know, why certain choices and decisions are made the way that they're made and that they're not always made in the best interest of the sport or the team. Like you like you said, you know, even with the whole Peyton Manning rule, the fact that the play was not marked dead by the referees is indefensible. And, the, you know, and then for others to say, well, he should have checked them, you should have known the rules, because the reality is there are certain things you do in college football that you cannot do in the pros and certain things you do in the pros you can't do in college. And I think if I remember correctly in college football, once you're down, you're down and you can't get back up. And if it's a young player who's still trying to remember that, yes, it's the playoffs, but you know, who knows how often that player has actually been on the field, but but for him to be able to get back up again and have forward progress is, it is, is, it's almost as stupid as the tuck rule. And it just seems that it always happens with certain players. I think that is probably the part that irritates most fans. It's not just the stupidity of the rules. It's the application of the stupidity of the rules. I think, I think you're on point. But, um, Jim, so uh, what do we expect for the, uh, the, fantasy, the fantasy Greek site at this point for 2016 where fans can dive in? I know we – we were looking at fantasy football last year. Um, what, what kind of things uh, are you guys uh, working on this year? Well, for the short term, we're, you, you'll start seeing more and more articles coming out related to the draft. Um, if you come out right now, you can see how many draft picks your team has, as well as when those draft pick, picks occur uh, by round and the pick within every round. Um, you'll be surprised to see which teams have the most and which have the least, at least I was once I – I got done totaling all the numbers. Um, we have a, uh, a draft 
a fundraiser coming up at the end of the month for people in Chicago. It'll take place uh, Thursday, April 28th, the same time as the first round of the NFL draft at Goose Island Brewery up on 1800 North Clybourne. Uh, give me a few days and you'll be able to buy tickets through our site or through eventbrite.com. Um, after that, we'll be gearing ourselves up for our uh, fantasy football draft guide, which will be available on Amazon.com. It was the number one uh, selling draft guide on Amazon two years ago, and last year was the um, uh, the number one new release. Uh, and then we're going to roll into the season. I'm, uh, we're looking at uh, uh, providing some things last year that you would have had to be a subscriber for, and this year uh, we're thinking it's going to be free. And you'll have so many more things that you can use besides waiver reports, um, uh, you know, the daily news, uh, fantasy points allowed, and as such to help you make your weekly roster decisions. So we've got some cool things going, and, um, you know, hey, football's 24-7. Seriously, 24-7. Uh, that's what we do. That's what you do. So uh, go check out at the Fantasy uh, Football, uh, Fantasy Greek, at the Fantasy Greek on Twitter. And then your site is the thefantasygreek.com, right? That's correct. All right. So, Jim, thank you for the time. Sorry I uh, m- misplaced your name at the beginning. I thought it was John for some reason. Must be out of That's okay. out, out of loop here with all that. that. Um, so, Jim, looking forward to the season. Yeah, looking forward to the season and looking forward to all the insights that are coming out at, at the uh, Fantasy Greek. And we, we tweet on Twitter all the time. So uh, if you don't know where it's at, you can just get our timeline and you'll see uh, the at the Fantasy Greek on our timeline as well. You can go ahead and follow him. Yeah, great insights, as Nkishi said, uh, pretty pretty good during the season as well. And getting into the draft, it's coming big now, so you really want to know where your uh, team stands and what the options are for each of the squads. Um, I know I'm kind of like bummed out because my Rams kind of exploded on defense in terms of personnel, but we'll see what how they patch up things together. So, um, so Jim, thank you again, and uh, looking forward to another chat coming up in a couple months. So when we talk about you know preseason and going into the NFL season for 2016. Oscar Kishi, thank you so much. Have a great evening. Oh, thanks for thank coming you. on, Jim. Travels, and listen, if uh, I play fantasy football this time, I'm going to have you to help me pick my team ahead of time, <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to doing this myself. Because I promise, I had a great team on paper. And then every single one of my great players just totally bombed on me, like Jimmy Graham. And, you know, huh, the best person I had on my team all year last year was Dan Bailey. Go Cowboys. Well, well, well you know, um, without getting ahead of ourselves, the reality was last year was a unique year where we saw a lot of stars go down to injury. So players like we Jimmy did. Graham didn't help you. And um, they also weren't being used right. But anyway, We'll talk about that in a couple months. Nope, and that's exactly what happened. All of my players went down. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good evening, you two. All right, Jim. Thank you very much. Safe travels. Thank you. All right, Akishi, there you go. Jim Sorrentis at the Fantasy Greek, at thefantasygreek.com. Pretty good insights. All year long, he's got some great uh, feedback as well, and he's got – some good feedback on the website with contributors. So if you want to stay in the know with the NFL, uh, anything with that, you can even uh, tweet him any questions in terms of uh, what you think about your team and what he foresees for maybe some changes coming up. Just like we had mentioned, you know, where's 
RG3 going to land at this point? And unfortunately, you know, Doomsville, Cleveland, I don't think it's a good fit for him, but we'll never know. It's probably the only no, deal we can get. That was, well, think about, I mean, seriously, there have been too many decent, and, and I mean quarterbacks who weren't even as good as RG3 who went to die there. Uh, the the person who I think of the most who I think really hurt my feelings that they ended up dying in Cleveland was um, Jason Campbell. And, again, you already know where my loyalty lies. However, you know, I really like Jason Campbell as a quarterback. I don't think he was ever going to be, you know, he was never going to be a John Elway. Okay, so I'm clear on that. He was never going to be a John Elway, but he was going to at least be good. You know, keep the whatever team he landed on in contention. And, you know, the way he was treated in Washington, I didn't like it. Then he gets injured out in L.A., I mean, in Oakland with the Raiders, and then they bring in Carson Palmer, and then he goes and dies in Cleveland. So, yeah, something about that place, it it definitely is the mistake on the lake sometimes in terms of the football team. So, no, I don't want the Cleveland fans to beat me up. To many of the points that have been made before, it's, it's really a dysfunctional organization. And you're talking about, you know, Tampa Bay as an example where, you know, Lovey's gone after, you know, under two years. In Cleveland, it, they've never given a coach an opportunity to succeed there, you know, more than three years. They've never given a coach more than three years. It's always been under two years or it's within a year. I mean, they just – patience in, in Cleveland, I guess, is not the key there. And they don't understand it that they're not going to get anywhere unless they, you know, give the ship to somebody that can maybe ride it for three or uh, two or three years because that's what it's going to take. And so a lot of teams are in that boat, like like uh, Jim Jim's point. You know, they lose patience and then they think the right moves. I mean, look at the Yorks in San Francisco with Harbaugh. I mean, it's just it's, well, you know, a conflict of interest, but you, you should have been I able agree. to just, you know, muster it up and and let the coach coach, and um, you know, get you some get you some wins, but. I, I, a lot of a lot of organizations we've talked about it a long time at length. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of franchises meddling between you know either the ownership or the general manager and the coach don't get along, or the coach and you know the quarterback or the pers- or somebody in the personnel department. So just a lot of things that happen that just turn ship the other way, and it's kind of sad considering all the amount of talent. Sometimes when you look at it on paper, you're like, man, this 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 should just be a great team. And it just doesn't drown. Well, no, you're absolutely right. It really should be. And then, you know, what? something that was really interesting to me was that um, somebody said, you know, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the issues with bringing in Groot was that he said, I can coach this guy, meaning RG3. So for him to get here and all of a sudden realize that as a head coach, you're not the quarterback coach anymore. Therefore, you're not limited to just coaching RG3. You have to coach an entire team and then to say, I can't coach this guy. Well, that's just inexcusable. Because if you were brought in with the guise of saving this draft pick. Yeah, but nobody, not everybody could be Jason Garrett in a comfort seat in Dallas. And, I mean, that's just the case right there. Uh, he's actually, you can tell that, you know, ownership values, um, you know, himself, number one, and able to kind of uh, stay at bay with, you know, as, at the helm. But not a lot of organizations have that faith in, in certain coaches, you know what I mean? It's just sad to, to see that. Look, look, everybody thought Denver was done, in, uh, like he said, 
everybody thought Denver was one and done when they made the coaching change and look how wrong all of us were. Yeah, but is it so much that Jerry Jones has faith in Jason Garrett or is it that and, and I don't know how to say this. We always talk about game managers when it comes to quarterback. You don't have to be a Tom Brady. Just manage the game. Just don't lose the game for us. And that's kind of the way I see Jason Garrett. He's not a real coach. Just don't lose this team, you know. Just, just, just don't. He's, he's, a, he's a game manager for of coaches. He's not going to excel. He's not going to do anything great. He's not the tuna. He's not, you know, Bill Walsh. He's not going to come up with the West Coast off. He's not going to do anything outstanding. He's just going to do just enough. But I can tell you, I can tell you right now, you can, you can say that, but. I guess Jerry Jones sees other things that we don't see because for some of us, you know, at some point last year and the year before, you would have said, hey, because of the playoff losses, you said, hey, this coach should be gone. He can't cut it. But he can. when Jerry Jones when Jerry Jones, uh, Jerry Jones starts evaluating, he basically turned around and said, "It is, you know, the issue isn't the coach. The issue is some of the personnel and the physical play on the field. And it looks to me like, you know, he's, his tenure has been there a long time now, so – just goes to show you that and look you know, at maybe... our record. We look at right. our record. We're eight and eight, eight and right. eight, eight and eight, eight and eight, eight and eight. I'm just he's saying, but enough. all I'm saying is the boss hasn't plugged the plug on him, so he's got to he's got to be seeing something, or he's making excuses. He's making excuses. Oh. He's making excuses because of the players have to go first, but before the coach. I mean, that's just basically who what it looks like now. Going to put up with who else is going to put up with Jerry Jones? Nobody else. Um, hey, I was going to talk, talk to you about a little bit. <laughs> Christopher Hines, Christopher Hines out of Chicago Tribune, um, put out a, an article. It was pretty, you know, pretty bold article. Apparently Christopher Hines, the, you know, the, the writer is, uh, you know, gay, came out to be gay. Uh, he's a gay, you know, he's gay. And, um, um, unfortunately, he started, you know, criticizing the NFL in this article stating that, you know, that the league isn't ready for a gay male. Uh, and, and the last person we knew about was Michael Sam. Um, so right. what's your feeling on there? I mean, is, is this something that doesn't need to be pushed? I, I just don't see the NFL, even I, we can sit here and say that there's probably gay athletes right now in the NFL that haven't come out to boldly say I'm gay. I just can right. pretty much just say that right now. Okay. But it's just – is it just a, a boys' club, as he calls it? But technically it's a, its more of a rigid man's sport than any other sport, I think. And it, when you get down to it, um, it's kind of like an exclusive club. And since we're on that topic, let me throw something else at you while you're in the same concept. Okay, we got uh, the NFL not allowing a open gay ma- uh, male athlete at this point, really what the article ma- basically said. They're not ready for that. And then on, on, the, on the other turn, the most – Sexism, uh, insulting comment you could probably make in, in a sport that is co-ed sport, and I'm talking about you know uh, Indian Wells and the uh, ATP uh, tennis tour in conjunction with the WTA, where uh, Mr. Raymond Moore said you know basically that uh, the WTA women, which is Serena Williams and the Williams sisters and just about every other you know top tennis uh, female player. Uh, apparently they're, they've been writing the court tells from the ATP. And so, I mean, when you look at the numbers and you look at the amount of publicity that the women have brought in from the WTA, 
um, you know, it's kind of the same concept. We talk about a women's grid out and not getting, you know, their just due or their reputation out there in terms of media and exposure and everything else. This is the flip side where the women in the WTA have gotten more of, of their media attention. It just seems to me like he was either, A, very uh, intimidated now because of the fact that the women are getting the more attention in terms of publicity. So what's your thoughts on that? Right. Well, I think it's... Are you silent? Validity to the point. I think there's some validity to the point in that I don't think the NFL is ready for an openly gay player, but I think it's less about the players and more about the fans. Well, I mean, I, I understand the point where you don't want to include somebody because it's not the norm and it's never been the norm, but the opportunity is there if you're open-minded about things. And I think that I just think the NFL is not ready for that yet. Uh, I mean, to to have that, but you know, when you start looking at an individual like we're talking about tennis as an example where, you know, the, the females have contributed to the sport. I mean, he's he's a moron right. basically by saying that. And and the only reason he's a moron is because he's the one that's actually allowed that event to be a co-ed event. So if he felt so strongly about the, the women not contributing or putting up their worth in it, why would you right. allow them to participate in the event? He's actually benefiting, if you think about it, he's benefiting – from their hard work and publicity because he's gaining revenue from it. So he's actually okay. blaming he's blaming the female players for bringing in the uh, the fans, but he's also blaming them for, uh, I don't know, just basically saying that they're not, they're no better than the males because the males are the ones that, you know, bring in the, the fanatics, which in reality it's not true. Not in this day and age. Maybe a couple of years ago it would have been fine. But I think nowadays – if I'm going to watch tennis, I can tell you right now, um, you know, there's a couple players on the tour male-wise, but I'm not watching male tennis. Right. I mean, I, I'm just I'll be I, I'll be right up front with you. I when I watch uh, tennis, I'm watching Serena uh, Venus or Serena Williams or anybody else yep. in the top five in the world, uh, and not because they're female. It's because they play such an amazing, passionate game that you cannot afford not to watch. It's just that exciting. You know what I mean? So, I don't know, it's, it's more of a thrilling sport. I think the women's game has become more thrilling to watch. And I, I, I think his comment was just way out, out of bounds. Um, you know, just make a decision. That, that, that was my attitude. Right. You know, make a decision. If you're not going to – if you don't feel the women benefit your tour or your event, right. then why allow, why go, why allow co-ed? Just, just you know, cut your cords and have the, you know, have the girls get sponsored by somebody else or somebody that wants to have – their presence there at their events. Well, and I think what you hit on something that was really critical. You really and truly have seen a decline in the men's game. Um, I mean, like you said, people are looking, even with Venus being injured, having, you know, her illness, she's still going to be a draw. People are still going to turn and tune in to watch. And with the exception of one or two players, how many can you really name on the men's side? Now, of course, that same thing 
doesn't transfer over to football because football is has always been a male sport. And I think that that also has something to do with the discrepancies, I think, between the women's game and the men's game. Because tennis was always a game for the elite. So, therefore, it was a leisure leisure activity for people of a certain social social class and status. And because of that, it was always available to women. Um, Not so with football. Football really and truly was the rough and rugged, but it was also, you know, something that you did in college, and therefore it was associated with college, with being a male sport, with, you know, these limitations. The thought of women playing football just wasn't going to happen. And because it was available to both men and women simultaneously, the sport grew with both genders. Right. And I think that that's the difference. The pop As the sport grew, the popularity of it grew with both genders. Another perfect example of a sport that grew with equal gender support, gymnastics, and ice skating. Yeah, exactly. No, the only thing, yeah. I, the only reason I bring it up is because, you know, he made a bold statement, which was really disgusting yeah. in a way, because, you know, it was. Uh, women have to, you know, be begging at their knees, thanking the, thanking the male players for their, you know, their uh, contribution. I mean, I mean, it's like you know, uh, it was just bad. Yeah, that was, it was bad. It was really bad. He was just, he was just, you know, out of lines. I mean, I, I can understand if you want to say, you know, you don't have to insult the women. You just need to say, you know what, the the WTA tour isn't beneficial for my event. Fine. So you're, you know, maybe your attendance numbers don't show it. Maybe it is, you know, facts. But you know, don't throw out there just out of the blue and just you know criticize. Um, I can tell you right now, uh, well, as we were talking about the gay, um, open gay uh, male in the NFL, you're not going to have you have the flip side in the women's game. In the women's game, mm-hmm. it's you know equal gendered. It's n- uh, nobody. I mean, you've had that happen in the women's game for years. I mean, you're talking as a normal in the women's game. There's nobody in women's football that you know is. You know, if, if they're gay or lesbian or if they're straight, it, it, to them it doesn't matter. That you know, what's on the field matters. And I think that his article was the NFL isn't ready for that. I mean, it isn't ready to accept an open gay male athlete. And I think Michael Sam proved it in some aspects of it, but with the same token, he it's a totally different monster right because person. when it gets when it boils down to it, it's really about the talent on the field and not so much about you know what your sexuality is at this point. So if and you're not going to be able to cut it on the field. field. Right, exactly. The only so way for I something like that to different. go away is the only way you need something, the only way the whole gay issue is really going to go away on the field, especially in terms of football, is if you have, um, if you have a standout player who is well-known and respected for his play so that the gender isn't an issue. Therefore, it's not a gimmick. It's clearly about the talent right. that's on the field. Whereas, right. unfortunately, with Michael Sam, he was decent, but he wasn't worth the gimmick of you know, the circus that comes along with him. Almost like now a Johnny Manziel. 
a lot of teams didn't want to touch him because of the gimmick of Johnny football, the money sign, the, you know, all that, right. that, you know, that comes with it. And at some point, like you said, it's got to be about what you put on the field, not what you do off the field. Um, some players are just known more for the height than substance. And other players who have a lot of substance get swallowed up by the hype. Um, a perfect example of that is, you know, number three. You know, um, gosh, his name just went right out of my head. Just that fast from Bama. Uh, Jets player, Joe. Number what oh, now? Have to help me out. Uh, the Jets quarterback, Joe. Um, who's I can't remember the name. Is it backup? No, 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 Hall of Famer. He, he guaranteed that the Jets were going to win the Super Bowl, and they did. Joe, oh, don't name it. Yeah, don't name it. Sorry. Um, it's been a very, very long week already, and trying, like I said, trying to rip and run. But the thing about Joe Namath is, despite how good he actually was as a quarterback, people know him more for his flashy coats and his outfits and his statements right. about nothing wrong with having to drink with the ladies now and then as a single man. And people remember him more for those comments than they do for what he actually put out on the field and his hard work and his work ethic. And a lot of people don't know that Joe Namath had a great work ethic. So, right. you know, there's, there's got to be balance. People keep dogging right. Tony Romo, but people keep forgetting Tony Romo was undrafted. I don't know any other quarterback who has consistently put up the numbers that he's put up in this current quarterback era that went undrafted. Now, granted, yeah. Brady almost didn't make the cut, but he still got drafted. That's true. And for Tony yeah, no, it... in the top – so it, it matters. We, we, we oftentimes just we look at some of the wrong stuff. You know, even yeah, if yeah, people yeah. are putting up numbers on the field, if we're too busy concerned with who Tony Romo is dating, no one's looking at the numbers. If we're too busy concerned with who Michael Sam is dating, but he's not putting up the numbers on the field, then, you know, they'd be going to say, oh, it's because he's gay. No, he just wasn't doing anything. It, it's a well, really I mean, weird same, toss-up. Same concept, same concept, like I said, it's really – Something that, you know, I don't think uh, his article is actually, you know, on point. So if you want to read the articles, it's on our Facebook page. You can also go to the Chicago Tribune. It's uh, Chris uh, Kristen Hines, I believe his name is. And so you can read it up there as well. Uh, it's on our Twitter feed. Pretty interesting read on that. Um, you can also get the the read on, you know, Raymond Moore's um, sexism comments that was made at Indian Wells, which I thought was just completely out of out of bounds. But um, we got a little bit of time here, so let's dive into the women's recap and um, and let, let's loose out of here. Uh, next week, we have a couple more guests lined up in the week after that, so fully booked for the month, pretty much. And then April 9th, we're going to be in D.C. Well, and Keisha and Troy will be in D.C. I'll be pretty much watching from afar. But, we you know, we're being excited. Here. For we want night. you here. Sure. Well, I, I would would like to be there. I know. Well, but Periscope is going to give us the opportunity to be there live, too. So it's kind of like Woo-hoo. it's going to feel like I'm, we're going to be right side by side on the seat. Um, so let's go into the uh, women's recap and notes. Uh, Gridiron Australia, week four, Gridiron Victoria saw the Creighton Rangers fall from the undefeated state with a 28-16 loss versus the 2015 runner-up Northern Lady Raiders. The Raiders quarterback, Stephanie P.C., and uh, Giordana DiMozio helped the Raiders remain perfect. Raiders now going to the Easter bye week to take a week off, and then they await in week six 
the champion Geelong Bucks, and I mean undefeated champion Geelong Bucks. Uh, the champion mm-hmm. Geelong Bucks remain on course, undefeated, as they take care of the Packenham Silverbacks 52-34 uh, with the win. And uh, quarterback Kendra Nibba and uh, running back Rochelle Crenston, our Norwich football MVP supporter, have the Bucks poised for a rematch in week six against their uh, against the Raiders. And this is a rematch of the 2015 championship as well. So they're going to meet in the regular season for the first time since the Raiders lost to them in the final. And if you uh, remember right, the Raiders took the whole season until the end, and they got they got beat by the Bucks. Beat out. And they had beaten the yep. Bucks previously. So this is uh, this is a huge moment for them. This is like, you know, will there be uh, will the Raiders take this match, or will the Bucks once again, you know? Uh, give you know give them a loss, and that, I don't know how that's going to work. This is a huge game in Victoria, in Gridiron Victoria, and the third game featured uh, the Melton Wolves defeating the Burbeck Diamonds 64 to zero. And uh, to the girls out there in Birdwick, keep fighting, keep doing your thing. Uh, they've had injuries, they have a roster changes, so that has contributed to a lot of the uh, you know zero points for them for this season. So keep fighting, girls. Uh, Burbank is having a, like I said, a bad season with injuries and roster changes. So let's hope they keep working week to week and hopefully a win or two here before the end of the season's out. While the Wolves improve the two and one, obviously the uh, Diamonds go to zero and four, which is not a good thing. Uh, week six will feature the battle of winless squads, as you will get the opportunity. Burbank Diamonds taking on the Melbourne Chargers. As soon as the Easter break's over, it'll be the Chargers and Burbank Diamonds. The 0 and 3 Chargers take on the 0 and 4 Diamonds. So, uh, looking forward to that match as well. On top of the undefeated match during that same week, so we got an, uh, a winless match and an undefeated match. So it's awesome in Grenada, Victoria, week six, uh, April second. All game recaps are up on the league site at gridironvictoria.com.au. You can visit Women's Gridiron Leagues of Australia on Facebook or at Women's Gridiron on Twitter for the latest news going forward. So, um. Do you have the script on you in front of you, or are you on the road still? I do. No, I'm here. I'm okay. sitting down, and I am ready to go. For North American right. News and Notes, the Utah Girls Football League is now taking registrations for its second season for 2016. Visit www.utahgirlstackle.com. Uh, you can also look at their Facebook page, Utah Girls Tackle Football League, and you can follow them on Twitter at Utah. Oh, I'm sorry, at UT Girls Tackle. That's UT Girls with an S, T-A-C-K-L-E. Also, for more information, you can follow w, on Twitter at WWCFL or at MWFLF Football for the 2016 schedule. Also, for um, Canadian Women's Football League, you can visit their Facebook page at Western Women's Canadian Football League, which is what the WWCFL stands for. And you can also visit them on their website at w, I'm sorry, at mwfl.pointstreaksites.com. So, of course, this is a Canadian site. So, again, it's http colon backslash backslash mwfl.pointstreaksites.com. Sugar and Spice Football League schedule and season ticket info is now available and you can get the details at sugarandspicefootball.com. And, Oscar, back to you for the WFA News. All right. So in uh, the Women's Football Alliance, going to be launching here in about two weeks, 
we got the season kickoff. The Seattle Majestics, uh, Rebecca Samuelson, have started a thunderclap campaign. And if you guys are familiar with certain campaigns online, like crowdfunding and, and those are for money, uh, the thunderclap campaign is basically for sharing and exposure. So uh, the more people can share, that means you get the word out faster. Um, it's going to be an April, April 1st post uh, on Twitter or and Facebook or Tumblr. So if you have any of those three accounts, if you want to join in and participate and help the girls out, um, all you have to do is go to the Thunderclap IT, thunderclap.it projects. Otherwise, you can go to our links on our Twitter feed. And um, basically what it is is it's for the April 2nd. It'll be on April 1st. It's going to be a, basically a, a post that says Women's Football League, uh, Gridiron League seasons are opening, which is the IWFL and the WFA. You can help with the project awareness by allowing Thunderclap to post a supportive message on that April 1st. So it's going to be go to thunderclap.it forward slash projects forward slash 39321 slash women slash S football kickoff. So we'll have the link on our Twitter feed as well. Uh, 2016 season schedules are now on the U.S. League websites. Uh, follow WFA Football or WFAFootball.net at IWFL, and their website is IWFLSports.com for the latest schedules. The uh, WFA schedules have been up for the last two weeks. The IWFL schedule is still not up or uh, current as far as I checked uh, two days ago, so it could be up today. So check those two okay. sites and see what the schedules look like. WFA trading cards have been produced by uh, the 2016 season by Doji Mello and featuring WFA stars. So you can get the uh, cards at WFACards.com, WFACards.com. You can search for your favorite team player or regional superstar. Catch the latest WFA Nation series talking women's gridiron topics and how to improve the sport as a whole. This past week, it was Holly Custis, our uh, special guest from last weekend of the Seattle Majestics, and uh, Nenji Martin of the North County Stars formerly of the uh, Surge, San Diego Surge. So visit WFANation.com and our Facebook page for the link as well. Go to G.I. Quindom on Twitter at G.I. Quindom and at GIQuindom.com and check out all the amazing stories of talented young ladies playing no-joke football. So we go to Mexico now. And no. It's, uh, female... <laughs> go ahead. We'll go to Mexico oh, no, now. No, and, uh, okay, Female Extreme Latino Action Week 5. Uh, Jaguars defeated the champion Beats 30-7 to in the LFA weekend, which is the uh, the professional men's league in Mexico now, the LFA uh, weekend. So in conjunction with their weekend of, of games, the uh, female extremo Latino is playing alongside them as well. So Jaguars improved to 3-0 in the season, outscoring their opponents 82-17 to in this season. The Beats suffer their second back-to-back loss with the week 5, 6-4 loss to the Heartbreakers. The beats fall to one and two at this point. Uh, week six will feature the talented Heartbreakers at one and one to take on the winless Amazonas on April 13th during the LFA Men's uh, Football Weekend. Visit the Facebook page FXL FXL to get the latest updates on the events coming up and the previous scores and highlights. League of Football uh, Monterey kicked off the 2016 campaign. You can follow them on Facebook. For the results, and it's LFM Arena on Facebook, LFM Arena, and we'll go ahead and keep points, keep matchups coming up during week two, and we'll post those on our Facebook page as well as they come up. Um, so let's go to England and Kishi. All right, jumping on. 
Sorry about that. I was having a little bit of technical difficulties. Round two of the BASA Women's 2016 Sapphire Series played out this past Saturday and left some more teams bruised and battered. But round three will be a little bit different as champion Birmingham Lions and the London Warriors look to clash if they continue their dominance. To get the latest updates and coverage from our network partners, excuse me, UK First Down, at www.ukfirstdown.co.uk backslash VAFA backslash women. Again, if you want to get more information, it's UK First Down. The word first is spelled out. And that will connect you to our information for our partners in England. Yeah, and UK First Down does an amazing job on the coverage of the BAFA women, which is the British American Football Association Women's uh, um, section and this is round four rounds of the Sapphire series round three coming up this coming weekend in April and then it'll be round four uh, the last two years the Birmingham Lions have won the championship in the tournament so they, they look very strong this year once again so uh, hats off to them the London Warriors as well so it's, it's going to be exciting the next couple of weeks to keep tabs on them as well and you can follow them on Twitter at BAFA Women on Twitter um, reminder visit our Zazzle shop at Zazzle.com forward slash Create Our Beauty. Save up to 50% off. Use the daily codes uh, on the Zazzle site to save big every day. Follow us on Twitter at Gridiron Beauty and on our Facebook page, Gridiron Beauty, for the number one source covering women's tackle football 24-7. And that would be us and no joke football. Uh, don't forget to go like us on our Instagram. And today, uh, this week, we have two new posts on our Instagram page. So head over to our Instagram page at Gridiron Beauties. Check out the amazing uh, women that are playing American football globally. Um, Kishi, let's send us off, and then we'll be here next week. Yes, we will definitely be here next week. I am so excited. And Jim Sarantas of the Fantasy Greek for his insights. And if you want to be on the show, like Oscar just said, just email us at gridironbeauties at gmail.com. Um, also, again, go to GI Queendom and check out the amazing stories of young ladies playing No Joke Football Huddle. Follow Women's Gridiron on, on Twitter at Women's Gridiron and on Twitter follow at Jocelar, J-O-S-L-A-R 46 for the latest news on Australia and FXF Mexico scene. I swear I always get that one wrong, but it's FX. F Mexico scene. And like Oscar said, do not forget to follow us for all the latest NFL news, women's ladies football news. Uh, when Troy is feeling better, he will definitely have us updated on the college scene, especially with the draft coming up, so we need to know who to look out for. So Troy will have all the latest and updates on who we should be paying attention to. And for all other news, continue to follow us. I'm at Kishi's Cuties, K-E-S-H-I-S-C-U-T-I-S, Troy Wilson at Troy Wilson underscore one. Also, our other partners who have not been on for a while, but we're going to have to get them back before this season ends for the ladies football is at Pat's Fangirl 12, Erica, and Eric at Fit for Life for more NFL talk. And I'm in Kishi Free and Oscar Lopez. Sign us out. We'll see you next week, everybody. Uh, have a great weekend. Have a great Easter weekend. We'll see you next Tuesday for another edition of The Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, everyone.